Well, just yesterday we celebrated uh, Jesus Christ's birth. And we know that the Son of God was prophesied to be born in a particular town. It was the town of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem means, in Hebrew, the house of bread. Isn't it interesting that God, thinking this all out in advance, as I'm sure he did, had the one who would later refer to himself as the bread of life, Jesus Christ. The bread of life was born in a town called the house of bread. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think that's part of God's plan. So we're going to dwell on that a little bit today. Out of the town called the house of bread came a man who referred to himself as the bread of life. Important meaning for us. So let's see if we can catch on now as we read. What does it mean when Jesus called himself the bread of life? Now we're going to turn to John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This happens to be the account of a miracle that Jesus performed. Now this happened a couple times in the Bible where he feeds miraculously a multitude of people. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover, Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So what if each of these men had a wife with them and children? It could be upwards of 10,000 people. Who knows? So 5,000 men, we know for sure, plus others. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What a tremendous miracle. Jesus knew in advance the situation he was going to face and he planned it all out and a tremendous miracle was performed. Now, Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus did this was he was going to try to take them another step for, forward and take them from the physical to the spiritual. So the story goes on a little bit longer. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, this is the next day, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus is very quick to see through people. 
he saw that their motives for continuing to follow him were not to learn spiritual things from him, but to get more food. <laughs> they enjoyed the fish, it must have been really good quality, and the barley loaves, so they're looking for more free food. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's quite simple, isn't it? He doesn't give us a whole list of things here. He said, you've got to believe. You've got to have faith. You've got to know that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that his death on the cross saved you. And you've got to believe that with your whole heart. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Now they just saw him turn five loaves and two fish to feed a multitude of people, and now they're asking for another sign. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They're still looking for something physical, some special uh, rye bread or uh, pumpernickel or something like that. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And keep in mind, whenever Jesus talks about life, the life that he brings. It's not this normal 70 plus years we go through with all the aches and pains. It's, he's talking about something totally different. A changed life at this time, yes. A spirit-led life, but he's also talking about eternal life. That is what he has come to bring us. And so many times preachers today, they're talking about how to get blessings in your lives and, and how to, you know, just be healthy and, and how to, you know, find somehow financial or monetary gifts that God wants to bless us with. No, that isn't the life that Jesus brought. He came to bring us a life that is eternal, a relationship with him that will last for all eternity. But then he corrects them and he says, But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So that involves the life that Jesus brought for us. Not only a spirit-led life now, but eventually eternal life that is ours for our faith and belief in him, our trust in him. Let's pick it up in verse 47. He says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. So it's not something we hope that maybe, you know, if we're somehow good enough, we'll qualify for it. He says, 
He who believes now, in this day and age, has everlasting life. It is a promise from God. We haven't qualified for it. Jesus has qualified us for it. So we can have trust in that. He says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among them, themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So he tries to take them from the physical to the spiritual. But unfortunately, not many people caught, uh, caught on. He says in verse 61, on that his disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, which he was going to do? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. So the physical to the spiritual didn't sit well with a lot of people. What Jesus was doing was using what is called a metaphor. A metaphor, even in our language today, is something that you compare to something else. In other words, he is comparing himself to bread, the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, why would Jesus compare himself to something physical? something that people were familiar with. Well, the Bible is full of metaphors. You know, at one point in time, Jesus calls himself the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Now, throughout his career here on earth, we never once read anything about him leading a flock of sheep along, <laughs> you know, a physical flock of sheep. It was a metaphor. He is the good shepherd because he takes care of us. We are his sheep. He didn't go out in the field someplace and find a flock of physical sheep. It's a metaphor for how he takes care of us. He shepherds us. You know, there are other scriptures that say the kingdom of heaven is like a buried treasure. And, you know, if you know about it, you're going to do everything you can to get a hold of that land, to buy that land and to make it yours so that sometime you can dig up that treasure and it belongs to you. Or the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. Why, again, are you comparing a spiritual thing to a physical thing? To help us understand, to teach us a lesson. God knows our minds and how much we can fathom with our human minds. And he doesn't give us an overdose of spiritual truth because he knows we can't hand it, handle it. We can't understand it fully. So he helps us by giving us a physical comparison. 
It kind of communicates heavenly concepts that are difficult to put into words, or it's a way for the Holy Spirit to speak to our human spirit. It provides concrete images to help us grasp divine ideas, if you will. That's why God in the Bible uses metaphors. This spiritual thing is like, Jesus said, I'm like bread. Now, he called upon what happened in the Old Testament. And we all know the story of the Jews in the Old Testament. After God brought them out of Egypt, let's turn to Exodus 16, verse 4. Exodus 16, verse 4. When God brought Israel out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus, they had a long journey to the Promised Land. And when they left Egypt, when they came out of slavery, they left pretty suddenly and quickly. And I'm sure that they took some things, all the food that they could grab and pack away for the journey, but the time came that the food ran out. And they were going through a wilderness and there was no food. So what did God do for them? Well, the people were crying out for food because they were hungry. And it says in Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So they were keeping a seventh day Sabbath, so they weren't to go out and pick up the manna on what was Saturday back then. Pick it up in verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? What is it? for they did not know what it was. It was a miracle performed by God to somehow send down to them each morning edible food that sustained them, that kept them going. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little, depending on their family side. So it was a day-by-day -day thing. And Moses said in verse 19, no one is to keep any of it until morning because you're going to go out the next morning and it'll be there again. But the story goes on to say that some Israelites went ahead and did it. They were greedy or they didn't believe. They were fearful. Maybe it won't come down tomorrow. So they gathered a lot extra and what happened to it, it spoiled. And it stunk up the whole place. So God's trying to teach us a lesson. This manna for the Israelites was something he provided daily. You go out and get it each morning, you'll have enough for the day. And then tomorrow you'll go out again. You're relying on God on a daily basis, you see. But the Israelites, unfortunately, really didn't get the point. And they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years instead of maybe six months or even less as God guided them through on the way to the promised land. But because of their disobedience, because of their stubbornness, God made them stay in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't get the point. So in a similar way, Jesus now is showing us a spiritual lesson. 
Just like the Israelites had to go out every day and gather up what was going to sustain them, we have to look to Jesus as our daily bread. He is the bread of life. And just like the Israelites were told, we're told in a similar way that our relationship with Jesus is a daily thing. We need him every day. You know, we can't just communicate with Jesus or worship him once, and then maybe three years later we'll, we'll do it again. No, it's a daily requirement. If we truly believe that Jesus is the bread of life, just as that bread sustained the Israelites in the wilderness, so Jesus now sustains us. He provides us with all of our needs. Now, why did Jesus pick bread? He could have chosen anything in the cupboard, you know, ice cream, <laughs> lettuce, whatever the case may be. Bread was a crucial item to, to the people of his day. Bread was something that people ate every day. In fact, as many of us know, who know our history, and you probably do too, the Israelites in Jesus' day didn't really use utensils to eat. They used the bread as their utensil. Thin bread, like pita bread, what they did was they fold it up and then dip that in the soup or dip that in the stew and use that as their utensil. So not only was it something that was eaten every day, it was something so vital that people had a hard time eating without bread. <laughs> so Jesus chose what was probably the most important item in the diet of a, a person during his day. Now, what does it represent for Jesus to be the bread of life and for us to need him daily? Remember the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us? We're to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We praise you. Thy kingdom come. We want Jesus to return to straighten out this world so that we can receive our, our promised blessings at that time. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. So we're giving God the leeway to rule us personally. We want God to rule in our life. We want his kingdom to be in our lives right now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and what is that daily bread? Well, it can refer to a lot of different things. Martin Luther, the great Christian leader back in 1529 said this, what does daily bread mean? Everything that nourishes our body and meets its needs, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, yard, fields, cattle, money, possessions, a devout spouse, a devout children, devout employees, devout and faithful rulers, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and other things like these. But it doesn't just mean these physical things, physical blessings that we need. We also need the spiritual blessing of Jesus in our lives. Amen. So even when we say the Lord's Prayer, we're saying the same thing. We're learning the same lesson that the Israelites learned in the wilderness, having come out of at the Exodus, that daily bread is what we need in our lives. Jesus is the bread of life. We need him in our lives daily. Amen. 
And we have to keep coming back to him day by day by day. If we're to be spiritually nourished, that's the lesson that Jesus is teaching. That's the lesson that God tried to teach the Israelites in the Old Testament, but they were stubborn and rebellious. They wouldn't get it. And they ended up paying for it. And you know what? None of them, except for two people, entered into the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. So we don't want that to happen to us, okay? We can look at this world as our wilderness. And sometimes it's really like a wilderness out there. So we're journeying, so to speak. We need to have that daily bread given to us by God. We need to seek it out. Just like the Israelites, they had to literally go out and gather it. So in the same way today, we live off of Jesus Christ, so to speak. We're in relationship with him. We need to be in contact with him. We need to come and worship him regularly. We need to be in prayer. Uh, we need to study his word and learn more and more deeply about the life of Jesus and what he taught and what he did for us. And it has to be daily. Amen. If we truly believe that Jesus is the bread of life, and I hope you do, I trust you do, and I think I know you do. Jesus provides everything that we will need. Yes. Not only physically, but more important, spiritually. So that's why he compared himself to bread. He compared himself to other things, to teach a spiritual lesson. Turn with me to Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. This is another type of metaphor, and it really confused and offended the people who heard Jesus speak. Psalm 34, and verse 8. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Jesus said that, and what he meant by that was to experience him. That's what this phrase, taste and eat. See that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, don't forget that in the book of Psalms, it was very common to have two statements, and they both meant the same thing. They were just worded a little differently to help you get the point. So he says, first of all, in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you do that? Well, he says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So you taste and see that the Lord is good by taking refuge in Jesus, by trusting in him, by depending on him, by expecting him to watch over you and not, not let you down, to protect you, to see that you have everything that you need in your life, that's how you taste and see that the Lord is good. By believing that he's the bread of life, the bread that you have to have every day in your life to survive. So taste and see. It's another way of saying be in relationship with Jesus and always try to have that relationship go deeper and deeper. Because the more you know him, the more you're going to love him, the more you're going to appreciate him, and the closer you become. And I always remember that particular verse where Jesus prophesied his return and how people are going to come up to him and say, Hey, Lord, remember me? Remember all the things that I did and, and the good deeds that I did? And Jesus is going to say, Depart from me. I don't know you. And those people are going to be really shocked 
because it's all about, Christianity is all about coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, and we do that when we believe in him, when we accept him as our personal savior, that's when the relationship really starts going, and we have to develop that, just as we do in the relationships we have in our personal lives here on earth. You know, when I met my, my wife, we started a relationship. And that relationship, over the years, has grown and developed, sometimes on rocky roads, sometimes in good times, and sometimes in bad times. It has continued on, and it has developed to the point where now I know what she's going to say before she says, says it, and she's, vice versa. She knows what I'm going to say, or I'll say something to her, and she'll say, you know, I was just thinking about that. You become closer and closer until almost the two become one. That's the same way it has to be with us and Jesus. Amen. The more we learn about him, the more we know how he thinks, how he provides, what he says, and we probably know what he's going to say even before he says it. And you know, it's been that way with me. There have been times where I have prayed and brought to God something that I'm struggling with, something that I don't understand. And as I start the prayer, I already know what God's going to say to me because I know him pretty well. And I know where he stands and he's going to point out to me where I'm wrong. And I didn't want to admit it. But, you know, as I start that prayer, I'm going to say, no, God, you're probably going to say this to me, aren't you? <laughs> because that's who you are and that's how you think. And I can just imagine God in heaven shaking his head and saying, yeah, you, you got me right. You're getting to know me pretty well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I have to admit it. <laughs> and all of a sudden I see the error of my ways. That's what it means to taste and see that the Lord is good. The more you experience him, the more you talk to him, the more you read his word, you hear about his life, you get to know him really well. And you know what? At the time of his return, he's going to call you by your first name because he knows you that intimately. And he's going to say, enter into glory, my friend, Mickey, Ed, Art, whatever our name is, because we took the time to develop that relationship. If you don't do that, that relationship isn't going to exist and none of us want to be told, depart from me, I don't even know you. Amen. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 26. So Jesus is essential in our lives. If we are truly Christians, and I don't know what this next year is gonna bring, but maybe some of us are gonna be tested. Do you really believe? Or is this something that you've just assumed all of your life? You know, when the end comes, when Jesus' return comes, it's going to be vital that we are in relationship with him, Amen. that we believe he is uh, the bread of life, that we trust him, we depend on him, we're in contact with him regularly. And then finally, at the time of the Last Supper, and we're going to be having our communion service in just a few moments. Matthew 26, verse 26. He, amazingly, and this is the way God thinks, he provided a means for us to continually be reminded that Jesus is the bread of life. When he instituted the communion service at the Last Supper. 
says in Matthew 26, verse 26, while they were eating, there was bread at the table because that's what they were using for their utensils. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. So in this sense, a physical sense, you are literally able to take and eat something that represents the body of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. So the blessing that we receive when we come to this table is not just in taking this physical piece of bread and this physical cup of juice or the fruit of the vine. It's not that act that blesses us. That's just the physical. That, that's like the barley loaves and the two fish that Jesus miraculously f fed the multitude with. That in and of itself was great. It was a tremendous miracle. But don't forget, Jesus was trying to lead them from that meal to the spiritual meaning of what it means that he is the bread of life. So when we come to this table to take the bread and the cup, it's a wonderful, beautiful ceremony that Jesus instituted, but we miss out totally if we don't realize at the time that we're now taking a representation of the true bread of life, Jesus Christ. And by eating that, we realize that he's living in us, he's dwelling in us, that we are his people, he is our shepherd, he's sustaining us daily. He's sustaining us daily. That's what we have to come to the table with. And when we take the cup, we're reminded of what he did to make this possible. He died on the cross and shed his blood. That's what the wine or the grape juice represents. So if you don't get that, this is just a physical ceremony to you. But we come to the table in faith. We believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And we have to have him daily in our lives. And it's not just eating a piece of bread. This is an important representation of it and a reminder of it. But you've got to have the full relationship with him. We have to taste and eat of him regularly keeping in contact with him, seeking him always, talking to him on a regular basis, reading his word, reading about his life. That's the point behind the physical. That's what Jesus wanted the, the crowd to learn when the miracle of feeding the multitude was over with. But they rejected it. They were offended by it. They thought, who is this guy? We know him, He's, he was born in Bethlehem. He hangs around Nazareth now. Who is this guy to say he is the bread of life that came down from heaven? See, that's where faith comes in. And do we truly believe? Praise God, he has given us that faith and that belief to do that. So whenever you have the opportunity to have a communion, remember, it's not just the eating and the drinking. It's the spiritual truth behind it. So if you just give me a moment. We'll ask a blessing on the elements here. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent the bread of life to this earth.
to do all that he has done for us. To be born in a manger, to grow up as an obedient child, to live a a life of perfect righteousness, something none of us have ever done. And Father, you know we're incapable of it. So we needed a savior. We learned that the, the wages of sin is death. So if it wasn't for your son, Jesus Christ, we would all be doomed. We would all be helpless because we can't save ourselves. But you sought to, to send your son as our savior. He is the lamb without blemish. And by his death on the cross, our penalty has been paid now and forever. And as Jesus said, if we believe this, we have eternal life. So we trust your word, Father. We know that you cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So these truths that you've given us, we count on them, we depend on them, and we know that you won't let us down. So as we come to the table now, Father, as we've learned this piece of bread and the the cup reminds us of Jesus' death on the cross, but it also reminds us that Jesus is the, the living bread. And help us all to come to him on a regular basis, to have him on our mind daily, to not be afraid to talk to him as we would talk to another person because he's all already there to, to hear. He already knows our weaknesses. He already knows our sins, but he still loves us as you do, Father. And you're an awesome God. You're, you're so high above any human friend or relation we can have, but you're perfect and, and you love us and we want you to know here today, we love you very much. And we so appreciate you. So put your blessing now on our gathering, on our communion service, and help us to even understand more deeply what this is all about, who we are because of Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.